1: Good morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for September 16th, 2018. Koyo Kubose here, so very, very glad you joined us. Yes, (coughs) autumn is here. I was going to say right around the corner, but that's here. And uh, temperatures are going down and nice, crisp. Uh, Early morning, nice, and, um, you know, leaves are going to start to fall, and there's a lot of ripe fruit. That's this part of the season. If we think about harvesting, you know, time of harvest, you see that. uh, (coughs) And Thanksgiving is right around the corner, Halloween, and so forth. It's nice to have these seasons and these holidays and these observances, but it reminds us of the passage of time huh? seasons. you know we could depend on that <laughs> that autumn will follow summer and so forth, you know uh, and this uh, yesterday, Adrian and I uh, we drove three hours or so to, north to Palo Alto where her her older sister lives and she had just older sister lost her husband Yuji uh, and uh, so he's uh, Adrian and I's um, brother-in-law and Adrian grew up uh, in a household with three, three <laughs> there were three girls she's the youngest okay she has two older sisters and so, for family gatherings on relatives on her side, you know, the three kimuras her maiden name was Kimura, so the three Kimura sisters um, and their husbands yeah we you know we got together quite a bit and um uh, he's the first one to go, okay, of these three couples. And he was the oldest. You know, he lived a good life. And he was the 86. Uh, but as I look at that Kimura family side, the, the three daughters and and uh, they all got married and they all had celebrated in different years, but they celebrated golden wedding anniversaries. Very fortunate, you know. And. Uh, So I was uh, I participated in the service at the Palo Alto Buddhist Church, and um, you know I've been retired from uh, temple ministry for quite quite a number of years now, and and it's so nice to walk into a temple because it's not like I'm there every day or every Sunday or anything like that. So it's kind of a real treat. And I really feel the atmosphere when I enter the chapel area and go up on the altar area. And, you know, it really, I really appreciate it. And, uh, and I, so I was asked to give the minister's message and, And uh, so I talked about UG, and I talked about um, what I usually say is, you know, in Buddhist tradition, there was a memorial service really, and that's getting more and more common in terms of the way that families and funerals are held are are arranged now. You know, back in the day, uh, the more lavish, the more involved things were that that was the way it was more a sign of uh, respect and honor for if they had a wake service and the body was laid out and but um, modern times everything gets more simplified and streamlined and many times uh, they don't have a funeral per se because if you say funeral that means the the body the casket is there but now a lot of families, they do a direct cremation and then, uh, so it's really a memorial service, but it has the fresh emotions for the family, like a funeral because, you know, so we need maybe a new terminology for those kinds of memorial services that are, you know, uh, when everything's still fresh, we need a fumorial or something, um, but anyway, I on those occasions I talk about uh, when question is asked, what is the purpose of Buddhist services, memorial services or you know what not and the answer is it's an opportunity for the people to hear the teachings, to receive the teachings, you know. So even though in one definite sense the family is doing the service for the past loved one that passed on, uh, usually in the program uh, it would be titled memorial service of so and so, not memorial service for, because the family is not doing the service for the uh, departed loved one. He doesn't need any service. He doesn't need any help. <laughs> you know, in fact, it's more accurate to say that the deceased is giving the service for the family, for the friends. Okay. And if the, if the purpose of a service is to receive teachings, while the deceased is sending, is offering the gift of teachings for the family and friends, And one of the teachings, there's two teachings, core teachings in Buddhism, and one is impermanence. And that message is loud and clear to the family, occasions like a funeral. Wow. You know, of course we know intellectually, rationally, that human mortality and so forth, but when it hits close to home, it changes everything. It it's like death hits a pause button on life. <laughs> you know. It takes it takes precedent and, and you somehow your the tears wipe away your perception and you can see things more clearly and more intimately because the presence of death is so close the fact of being alive is in stark contrast to that. And so you appreciate the moment so much. And this is a pause where uh, priorities in life, and how am I, you know, subconscious maybe even, but how am I living? What's what's going on? Am I doing something with my life? You know, uh, in fact, I remember one of my uh, ministerial colleagues some years ago, he, he was, you know, a minister has with a temple a congregation, well, they have to do funerals, you know, quite a, quite a bit. And, and, uh, one of my colleagues was say, he he's standing in front of the casket. And then to himself, he's thinking, oh, I forgot. You know, he sort of slaps his forehead with his palm and said to himself, he's saying, I forgot. I forgot that I too, I forgot about the reality of death, you know? And, um, so and the deceased is giving us that teaching of impermanence and also the other teaching of interdependency. Okay. To use just a regular secular common term, but interdependency. You cannot look at one life and not see the influence of other lives. And and, and family and friends all get together. In this kind of observance, is testi- testimony to that fact of interdependency, okay, getting together, celebrating a life. Okay, um, uh, so I say that these imp- impermanence and interdependency both start with the letter I, and uh, so I do a play on words and I say for Buddhists these are the two I's, and I put my two fingers, you know, like sort of like a victory sign, but, you know, you put it fingers horizontal in front of your eyes. And these are the two eyes that Buddhists look out and see the world. They see the core teachings of impermanence, interdependency. And if those teachings really strike home, then you can't. Like death is a profoundly spiritual event. And if you really realize the Impact of you know personally the impact of impermanence and interdependency you can't help but become more sincere and uh, uh uh full of full of humility and gratitude that's the spiritual those are the spiritual virtues those are the you know in fact you might say that's the whole purpose of life you say well you know what's life all about, okay? It's to be sincere, to be, you know, have be humble, okay? You know, humble or have humility and gratitude. If you have those, you know, uh, that's a spiritual life. So, yeah, I always kind of have to smile when I think about these two eyes, kind of a metaphor, analogy, or whatever Right. You know, and I mention it. And then afterwards, uh, some friend or, you know, relative, uh, my age, you know, we're, we're friends and he'll come up and say, make that two fingers and say, Hey, two eyes. Yeah. You, you, you thought I wasn't listening, huh? Yeah, no, I, I, I got the message two eyes <laughs> you know, and that makes me smile and, and, uh, that's really nice, so uh, <clears throat> I'm still in that mode. Uh, we got back we just went for the day trip and we got back around midnight or so. We drove afterwards uh, and of course, when there's a service like that, then they have uh, uh, refreshments afterwards and then also some some of the people go back to the to the uh, home. And have more refreshments, and uh, you know, it's really an opportunity for that kind of well, I say interdependency, but it's really um, seeing your roots, huh? you know, in that sense of all, all your friends and an extended family. So, uh, the spirituality. An event like this should be not something like you, oh, get get over with it, or you know, ignore the deeper message because, because it might not be a exactly a pleasurable teaching of impermanence, huh? Uh, but uh, we should magnify its impact on us because it makes it, that is what makes life deeper, richer. Okay, I want to introduce the guest to give us a Dharma Glimpse. Now, this is Michael Chino. Uh Lives in Texas, and he was scheduled to give a Dharma Glimpse for Live Dharma Sunday back in September. Uh, no, no. Back in, gee, I can't remember now. Several months ago, anyway. And uh, we had some technical problems at that time. And, uh, so his tape message, we couldn't use it, but, and so we kept it as a backup on our studio switchboard, uh, Live Dimer Sunday. And, uh, uh, so he's going to be, it's going to be played right now, but I just mentioned in it that it's uh, a tape that maybe, um, pre-recorded it several months ago in case there's some reference to, you know um the time factor so let's hear from michael chenyo hello this
0: is michael chenyo title my dharma glimpse today is intuition this morning i'm sitting on the front porch sipping on a cup of coffee it's a nice quiet morning and i'm gathering my thoughts and planning my day my little buddy finn always joins me on the porch on my days off all of a sudden finn runs to hide in the bushes I look around to see what, he's, what he sees. There's someone walking down our street, almost a block away. I wonder what he knows. I begin thinking about how animals seem to have intuition in what we humans and that we humans do not. Why is that? Finn came to us as a feral kitten about three years ago. We used to watch him sneak over every night. He was very careful. He'd wait until almost dark, and as a black cat, he blended into the shadows very well. He would look and then run from behind a building to a bush, from the bush to the car, uh, across the street, and then he would look across the street both ways and zip across into our driveway, underneath our car, (laughs) and into the bushes, and finally up until he made his way up onto the porch. Somehow, this little guy knew he could trust us. Well, he was right three years later, and he seems to run the place. <laughs> Still today, he is very selective in who he trusts. Some people he'll go right up to, others may never, see, never even see him. I'll give you a specific example of uh, one instance that involved a neighbor boy. This boy lived across the street in about two houses over. Anytime Finn saw this boy, he instantly would dive into the bushes. This kid could be a block away if he he was coming home from school, whatever it might be. If he heard him, saw him, anything, Finn was hiding. Well, it turns out that this kid ended up trying to carjack a woman just a block from here. He even threatened to light her on fire. Now, how did Finn know to avoid this kid? I think it's more than just instincts, animals in the wild rely on instincts, but I think there's some intuition at play too. Finn, even though he is very domesticated and spoiled now, still seems to have great intuition. If this is something natural, then why did uh when did humans lose it, and how do we get it back? I think it comes down to awareness. Animals tend to be more aware of what's going on in their environments. We, on the other hand, tend to run around with too much on our minds, or we're simply multitasking. This causes us to lose track of other things going on around us. Could intuition be improved through mindfulness meditation? I think that's a good start. Whether intuition is a concern for you or not, awareness in general, I think, can improve our way of life. Thank you. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, this
1: topic of awareness, uh, either was in one of my father's books that he wrote, uh, Center Within or Everyday Suchness, there's there's, uh, one of the titles of the essay is Awareness. And that really, when you think about it, is a key in terms of Buddhist life, um, you know, living with awareness. That's... uh, uh, kind of a a spiritual practice in itself but and also what uh, spiritual practice is leading to so that you could have more awareness huh just like the awareness that of uh human uh mortality and things like this you know you, know, you we could notice things that we ordinarily wouldn't notice little flower Along the roadside, you know, there's a famous haiku poem about that, you know, insignificant little flower. But that flower is blooming 100%. And, you know, without any, like, hey, uh, you know, how come I'm ignored? How come I'm just in, you know, insignificant flower by the wayside? No, they live 100%. They, you know, blossom out to the sun in the sky 100%. Live their life 100%. Okay. And then, so the uh, truth seeker that's passing by you know, receives this message. This, you know, is a spiritual teaching there. Um, and I think that animals, indeed, uh, much more well, base. I don't know what you call it. Basic, primal. You call it intuition, instincts. It's fast. If you notice something, you know. Well, especially, uh, wild animals, but even domesticated pets, they, they don't miss a thing in what's going on in their environment. And they respond right away. You know, reality is quick. Okay? And after, but in a split second, then you you make a judgment or you somehow, you know, labeled label the input and so forth. Uh, and maybe you know, uh, superimpose some kind of a uh, analysis on it. What the first reaction noticing, okay, is the honest one, okay, in terms of what what's what the experience is, okay. In um, animals, uh, they don't cloud things with pondering or thoughts. Boom, okay. It's quick and it's direct. And that's really uh, uh, something to be emulated. And uh, uh, our pets are always offering those teachings for us. Well, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going and you have a beautiful day.